Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the January 24th, the Tuesday, January 24th episode. I believe that would be episode 146 of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I am Wayne Floyd, your host. Um, let's see, a few things. Uh, links in my show notes. Again, uh, we're working on the 2023 reading plan, which the link is in there. Um, there's also a link to the McShane plan. I would definitely encourage you to use that for your own reading. Um, let's see, there's also a link in there for our church's Give, Sin, Go for the Vale Valley Baptist Church. Um, Give, Sin, Go campaign. We are working to... Uh, try to get our mortgage paid off quickly so we can get to work on establishing a Christian, traditional, classic-based education, a classic-based school. Um, so therefore, we, we, need to, we need to clear the, the uh, I'm sorry, what am I trying to say? The, uh, the mortgage off our uh, books. So that's what we're trying to do. I'm sorry, moving my mic around here. Um, so th- you'll find that link in there. Definitely would ask that you prayerfully consider giving. Um, again, you know, if, if you don't feel led to, that's understood. We definitely would love your prayers. Absolutely. We can always use prayers that uh, for everything I mean, and in everything we can all use prayers. And so we would definitely be grateful for any prayers you might offer for us um, as we pursue this. Um, and we would definitely ask um even if you can't give, if you could, if you could pass along the information, um, and therefore, you know, more people that see it, maybe more people that'll contribute and we'll help, we'll be able to get there faster. So again, please, you know, prayerfully consider it and definitely pray for us as we pursue this. All right, well, let's go ahead and let's get going. We're going to work on our reading, um, here in the morning segment. And as we usually do, uh, sorry, got a pop up there. We are going to go ahead and start reading Uh, Well, we're going to do our reading, but we're going to go ahead and open up as we do on Tuesday mornings with our third day morning prayer. It's called God, Creator, and Controller. Most high God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the Holy Scripture, the joyful gospel, the Savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit, Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. 
If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use, not abuse, its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary when we are tempted to wander. I'm sorry, that are, which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way. Excite in us abhorrence of sin. Wean us from the present evil world. Assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right, our morning devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening. Our text for it is Psalm 91.3. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. God delivers his people from the snare of the fowler in two senses, from and out of. First, he delivers them from the snare, does not let them enter it, and secondly, if they should be caught therein, he delivers them out of it. The first promise does promise is the most precious to some the second is the best to others he shall deliver thee from the snare how trouble is often the means whereby god delivers us god knows that our backsliding will soon end in our destruction and he in mercy sends rod sends the rod we say lord why is this not knowing that our trouble has been the means of delivering us from far greater evil many have been thus saved from ruin by their sorrows and their crosses these have frightened the birds from the net. At other times, God keeps his people from the snare of the fowler by giving them great spiritual strength, so that when they are tempted to do evil, they say, How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? But what a blessed thing it is that if the believer shall in an evil hour come into the net, yet God will bring him out of it. O backslider, be cast down, but do not despair. Wanderer though thou hast been, Hear what thy Redeemer saith. Return, O black backsliding children, I will have mercy upon you. But you say you cannot return, for you are a captive? Then listen to the promise. Surely he shall deliver thee out of the snare of the fowler. Thou shalt yet be brought out of all evil into which thou hast fallen, and though thou shalt never cease to repent of thy ways, yet he that hath loved thee will not cast thee away. He will receive thee, and give thee joy and gladness, that the bones which he has broken may rejoice. No bird of paradise shall die in the fowler's net. All right. Now we're going to get on into our reading. We're going to work our way through Genesis 48 and 49, then into Matthew and Psalms and Proverbs, like we usually do. So Genesis 48. Hear the word of the Lord. Now it happened after these things that Joseph was told, Behold, your father is sick. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, with him. Then it was told to Jacob, Behold, your son Joseph has come to you. So Israel strengthened himself and sat up in the bed. Then Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. And he said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply, and I will make you an assembly of peoples, and I will give this land to your seed after you for an everlasting possession. So now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine, as Reuben and Simeon are. But your kin that have been born after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the names of their brothers in their inheritance. Now as for me, when I came from Paddan, Rachel died to my sorrow in the land of Canaan on the journey, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel saw Joseph's sons and said, Who are these? 
And Joseph said to his father, These are my sons whom God has given me. Here, so he, God has given me here. So he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were so dim from age that he could not see. Then Joseph brought them close to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. Then Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your seed as well. Then Joseph took them from his knees and bowed with his face to the ground. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim with his right hand toward Israel's left, and Manasseh with his left hand toward Israel's right, and brought them close to him. But Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head, crossing its hands, although Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd throughout my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless these boys. And may my name live on in them, and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. But Joseph saw that his father set his right hand on Ephraim's head, and it was displeasing in his sight. So he took hold of his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not so, my father, for this one is the firstborn. Place your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also will become a people, and he also will be great. However, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his seed shall become the fullness of nations. And he blessed them that day, saying, By you, by you Israel will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I am about to die, but God will be with you, and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. And I give you one portion more than your brothers, which I took from the hand of the Amorite with my sword and my bow. All right, and Genesis 49. Then Jacob summoned his sons and said, Gather together that I may tell you what will befall you in the last days. Assemble together and hear, O sons of Jacob, and listen to Israel your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my vigor, preeminent in dignity and preeminent in strength. Uncontrolled as water, you shall not have preeminence, because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. Let my soul not enter into their counsel. Let not my glory be united with their assembly. Because in their anger they killed men, and in their self-will they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is strong, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them amongst Jacob, and scatter them in Israel. Judah, as for you, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down to you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He crouches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lioness who dares rouse him up. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He ties his foal to the vine, and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He washes his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. His eyes are dark from wine, and his teeth white from milk. Zebulun will dwell at the seashore, and he shall be a shore for ships, and his flank shall be towards Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, lying down between the sheepfolds, 
and he saw that a resting place was good, and that the land was pleasant, and he bowed his shoulder to bear burdens, and became a slave at forced labor. Dan shall render justice to his people, as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a horned snake in the paths, that bites the horse's heels, so that his rider falls backwards. For your salvation I hope, O Yahweh. As for Gad, raiders shall raid him, but he will raid at their heels. As for Asher, his food shall be rich, and he will yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a doe let loose. He gives beautiful words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. It branches run over, its branches run over a wall. And the archers bitterly attacked him and shot at him, and they bore a grudge against him. But his bow remained firm, and his arms were agile. From the hands of the mighty one of Jacob, from there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. From the God of your fathers who helps you, and by the Almighty who blesses you, with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lies beneath, blessings of the breasts and of the womb, the blessings of your father have surpassed the blessings of my ancestors, up to the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph, and on the top of the heads of the one distinguished among his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. In the morning he devours the prey, and in the evening he divides the spoil. All of these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father spoke to them, so he blessed them. He blessed them every one with the blessing appropriate to him. Then he commanded them and said to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought along with the field from Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial site. There they buried Abraham and his wife Sarah. There they buried Isaac and his wife Rebekah, and there I buried Leah. The field and the cave that is in it, I in it purchased from the sons of Heth. So Jacob finished commanding his sons, and he drew his feet into the bed and breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. All right. Now Matthew 15, starting at verse 29 to the end of the chapter. And departing from there, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee. And having gone up on the mountains, he was sitting there, and large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many others, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. And Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I feel compassion for the crowd, because they have remained with me now three days, and have nothing to eat and I do not want to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where would we go get so many loaves in this desolate place to satisfy such a large crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves and the fish, and giving thanks, he broke them and kept giving them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, seven large baskets full. And those who ate were four thousand men, besides women and children, and sending away the crowds, Jesus got into the boat and came to the region of Magadan. All right, Psalm 16, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. 
And the Pharisees and Sadducees came, and testing him, they asked him to show them a sign from heaven. But he replied to them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning there will be a storm today, for the sky is red and threatening. Do you know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but cannot discern the signs of the time? An evil and adulterous generation eagerly seeks for a sign, and a sign will not be given it except the sign of Jonah. And he left them and went away. And coming to the other side of the sea, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. And Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now they began to discuss this among themselves, saying, He said that because we did not bring bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, You men of little faith, why do you discuss among yourselves that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the five thousand and how many baskets full you picked up, or the seven loaves of the four thousand and how many large baskets full you picked up? How is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread, but beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Then they understood that he did not say to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. All right, and now Psalm 20. For the choir director, a psalm of David. May Yahweh answer you in the day of distress. May the name of the God of Jacob set you securely on high. May he send you help from the sanctuary and uphold you from Zion. May he remember all your meal offerings and find your burnt offering acceptable. May he grant you your heart's desire and fulfill all your counsel. We will sing for joy over your salvation, and in the name of our God we will set up our banners. May Yahweh fulfill all your petitions. Now I know that Yahweh saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some boast in chariots and some in horses. But we will boast in the name of Yahweh our God. They have bowed down and fallen, but we have risen and stood upright. Save, O Yahweh, may the king answer us in the day we call. All right, and Proverbs 4, verses 20 through 27. So that would be 20 through the end of the chapter. My son, pay attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them deviate from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart for they are life to those who find them, and healing to all his flesh. Guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. Put away from you a perverse mouth, and put devious lips far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, and even let your eyelids be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the track of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. All right, well, that is our reading for this morning. Uh, we've gone ahead and completed it, and we actually did it in pretty decent time. Um, thank you for spending this time with me this morning. Um, I hope the time together has helped to equip you and edify you. Um, I would definitely implore you to uh, go do all that you do for the glory of God, and I, I would definitely pray that you have yourself a wonderful day. Um, and that you see God's work and all of it. We all should. Um, and let's go ahead and close out with prayer. Our Valley of Vision prayer to close this morning segment out is called Reliance. Reliance. All right, let's pray. My Father, when thou art angry towards me for my wrongs, I try to pacify thee by abstaining from future sin. 
but teach me that I cannot satisfy thy law, that this effort is a resting in my righteousness, that only Christ's righteousness ready-made, already finished, is fit for that purpose, that thy chastising me for my sin is not that I should try to reform, but only that I may be more humbled, afflicted, and separated from sin by being reconciled and made righteous in Christ by faith that a sense of my sufficiency and ability in him is one means of my being immovable, that I can never be so by resting on my own faith, but by trusting in thee as my only support by faith, that if I cast away my faith, I cast away thee, for by faith I apprehend thee. And as thou art very precious, so is my faith very precious to me, that I fall short of the purity thou requirest because in thinking I am holy, I do not seek holiness, or believing I am impotent, I do no more. Humble me for not being as holy as I should be, or as holy as I might be through Christ. For thou art all, and to possess thee is to possess all. But to make the creature something is to make it stand between thee and me, so that I do not walk humbly and holily. Lord, forgive me for this. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have a wonderful day. Again, I would implore you to do all you do for the glory of God. And God willing, I will see you this evening. Have a great one. God bless. Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the January 24th episode. That would be episode 146 of the uh, Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host, and we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of John. We're moving on. We've made it. We're moving on to John chapter 5. We took a while there in John chapter 4. Um, but now we're moving on into John chapter 5, and we will go ahead and open up this evening with um, a Valley of Vision prayer. It's called Peril. Peril. Let's pray. Sovereign Commander of the universe, I am sadly harassed by doubts, fears, unbelief, and a felt spiritual darkness. My heart is full of evil surmisings and disquietude, and I cannot act faith at all. My heavenly pilot has disappeared, and I have lost my hold on the Rock of Ages. I sink in deep mire beneath storms and waves, in horror and distress unutterable. Help me, O Lord, to throw myself absolutely and wholly on thee, for better, for worse, without comfort, and all but hopeless. Give me peace of soul, confidence, enlargement of mind, morning joy that comes after night heaviness. Water my soul richly with divine blessings. Grant that I may welcome thy humbling in private, so that I might enjoy thee in public. Give me a mountain top as high as the valley is low. Thy grace can melt the worst sinner, and I am as vile as he. Yet thou hast made me a monument of mercy, a trophy of redeeming power. In my distress, let me not forget this, all-wise God. Thy never-failing providence orders every event, sweetens every fear, reveals evil's presence lurking in seeming good, brings real good out of seeming evil makes unsatisfactory what I set my heart upon, to show me what a short-sighted creature I am, and to teach me to live by faith upon thy blessed self. Out of my sorrow and night, give me the name Naphtali, satisfied with favor. 
Help me to love thee as thy child and to walk worthy of my heavenly pedigree. Amen. All right. And now our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for January 24th. The text is Luke 1040. Martha was cumbered about much serving. Her fault was not that she served. The condition of a servant well becomes every Christian. I serve should be the motto of all the princes of the royal family of heaven. Nor was it her fault that she had much serving. We cannot do too much. Let us do all that we, can po- we possibly can. Let head and heart and hands be engaged in the master's service. It was no fault of hers that she was busy preparing a feast for the master. Happy Martha to have an opportunity of entertaining so blessed a guest, and happy too to have the spirit to throw her whole soul so heartily into the engagement. Her fault was that she grew cumbered with much serving, so that she forgot him and only remembered the service. She allowed service to override communion, and so presented one duty stained with the blood of another. We ought to be Martha and Mary in one. We should do much service and have much communion at the same time. For this we need great grace. It is easier to serve than to commune. Joshua never grew weary in fighting with the Amalekites, but Moses on the top of the mountain in prayer needed two helpers to sustain his hands. The more spiritual the exercise, the sooner we tire in it. The choicest fruits are the hardest to rear. The most heavenly graces are the most difficult to cultivate. Beloved, while we do not neglect external things, which are good enough in themselves, we ought also to see to it that we enjoy living living personal fellowship with Jesus. See to it that sitting at the Savior's feet is not neglected, even though it be under the specious pretext of doing him service. The first thing for our soul's health, the first thing for his glory, and the first thing for our own usefulness is to keep ourselves in perpetual communion with the Lord Jesus and to see that the vital spirituality of our religion is maintained over and above everything else in the world. All right. Well, like I said, we're going to move on to our, in our study of John. We're moving on into John 5. Um, and our next section here is about the Messiah at the Pool of Bethesda. And I'm going to re- go ahead. We're only going to do part of this tonight, but I'm going to go ahead and read um, the text, um, John 5, verses 1 through verse 16. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at, a, at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made, stepped in was made well from whatever sickness with which he was afflicted. And a man was there who had been sick for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been sick a long time, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And immediately the man became well, and picked up his mat, and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. So the Jews were saying to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to carry your mat. But he answered them, He who made me well was the one who said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. They asked him, 
Who is the man who said to you, Pick up your mat and walk? But the man who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in that place. Afterward, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin any more, so that nothing worse happens to you. The man went away and disclosed to the Jews that it was Jesus who had, been, who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. All right. Well, that is our overall text over, over the next couple of evenings, God willing. Um, as it is, we're only going to go to the point to where um, he's healed him and the man gets up and picks up his mat and begins to walk. So, you know, as I've spoken before, the Gospel of John is written under, under an overall theme, which we, we identify in John 20, verse 31. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So what John the Apostle is saying is these miracles he's focused on, these teachings of Jesus he's focused on, these events that he's focused on were written so that we would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, he is our Savior. And that in believing that, truly believing that, soul deep belief in that, that we would believe so that we would have life in his name. We would have eternal life. We would have that saving faith that brings eternal life. So over the last week or so, we've been enlightened and edified by the amazing miracle of Jesus, who from Canaan, from Cana, which is 16 miles away, healed the official's son in Capernaum. The official had come to him in Capernaum and asked him to heal his, asked him to come before his son died, asked him to come heal him, asked him to come before he died. And Jesus said, go, your son as well. Or, yeah. But we also saw the growing manifestations of unbelief. We saw, as our the bullet points were that we, that we looked at, we saw unbelief contemplated by Jesus. And we saw that unbelief confronted by him, and then the unbelief conquered through this miracle. And we saw the official's whole household come to a saving faith in Christ, that which, as we have laid out, is the true purpose of this gospel. And we saw clear evidence that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. We saw that as this gospel indicated that in the official's family believing, they received eternal life. And this proof should drive us towards a saving faith in Christ. Well, this week we're going to continue seeing that manifestation of unbelief in the, as John MacArthur indicates, the damning power of false religion, which was his sermon title over this section. Don't get me wrong, we see another amazing miracle here at the Pool of Bethesda, but we also see the damning grip of the false religion that the Jews had developed out of what God had provided to them. Finally, we will see the commencement of persecution of the Messiah that will continue through chapter 7. So again, like I said, the Jewish religion truly had become apostate at this point. Um, and is, and I'm sorry if I'm offended, folks, but is today. The Pharisees had twisted it into something 
that no longer was what God had given them. So this evening, well, so over this section, we're only going to have two major bullet points. And this evening, we're only going to consider one. Um, and yeah, these come from John MacArthur. They, they were so good and they fit what I was putting together. So I'm going to use them um, and give him the credit for them. So our two sections that we're going to deal with, one tonight and one tomorrow, God willing, what we're going to do tonight is the miracle that is performed, the miracle performed. And tomorrow night, if, if you know, God willing, we'll deal with the masters persecuted. So the miracle performed, we're going to start. And so, like I said, the verses we're going to deal with tonight are verses 1 through verse 9b. So I'm going to read them again. After these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred up the water. Whoever then first, after the stirring up of the water, stepped in was made well from whatever sickness with which he was afflicted. And a man was there who had been sick for thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been sick a long time, he said to him, Do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And immediately the man became well, and picked up his mat, and began to walk. Those are our verses for today. So let's at first look at the time, look at the period. We're going to look at when this is occurring. So we see there is um, uh, John 5, verse 1, as it starts. It says, after these things, this is an indication that this is happening after Jesus' Galilean ministry, after what we had seen in John 4. This is after what he had done in John 4, his dealing with the Samaritans and then his going on into Galilee. This is all coming. And, and then the healing of the young man in Cana or from Cana, the young man was in Capernaum. This is happening after these things. So it's after the things that have happened in verse 4, which, I mean, makes sense. Obviously, it's in chronological order, but it's saying after this Galilean ministry that he has done up to this point. But we also see in verse 1 that there was a feast of the Jews, and that's why Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, there are many options as to which of the three feasts, whether it's the Passover, the Tabernacle, the the, the Feast of Passover, the Feast of Tabernacles, or 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 um, I don't know why I added this one. I'm going to ignore something in my notes here. But John the Apostle gives no clear indication of which feast it is. And honestly, um, <laughs> I ran across in, in commentaries so many arguments in multiple directions as to why one was the other and whatever. Um, and, and because they want to argue how long Jesus' overall ministry was. And it, and it basically, the options take you from it being a total of a two-and-a-half-year ministry to a three-and-a-half-year ministry. Um, maybe that makes a big deal. Um, my thing is, it just, hey, it was feast time and Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. I don't know what, what feast it is, and John doesn't explicitly say here in John 5. So 
I'm, I'm just not going to worry about that right now. And I don't think you should see, you should either. But we also see that in the end of verse nine, that this miracle takes place on the Sabbath. So that's part of our period too. Um, verse nine, uh, part C. Now it was the Sabbath on that day when this takes place. So don't blow by that point as it's critical to the Jews reaction to this. And when, and again, remember, um, when John the Apostle speaks of Jews, he's not talking about your average everyday Jew. So, you know, verse 10 goes on. The, so the Jews were saying to the man who had been healed, he's talking about the Jewish leadership, the Jewish religious leadership, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. That's who he's talking about. So it's critical that we realize, okay, he's going up here at feast time and Sabbaths during the feast time were even were considered even more holy, even by God. Okay, so this is not just them doing this, but even even by God, Sabbaths during feast time were even more holy than the regular Sabbath, and that's when this occurred on was a Sabbath. So then we see where it occurs. So we've we've got the place where it occurs. Verse two. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. So this is by the sheep gate. And we also see this gate mentioned, if, if, you've, if you read through the histories, if you read through the book of Nehemiah, ne in Nehemiah chapter 3, it speaks of the sheep gate. This sheep gate was on the north wall, the north wall of Jerusalem, near the northeast corner of the wall, and it was near the temple. It was near the temple, so it was a short trip in from this gate to the temple. And it's called the sheep gate because that's the way that was typically the gate that sheep were typically brought into the city through that gate. That's its name. They Some of the gates would have specific names. Um, and this was true of cities uh, across in first century and actually, honestly, in later centuries as well, because there'd be specific gates for specific things tied into specific industries in those areas. So I, I don't know any Honestly, I didn't haven't done that kind of research on Jerusalem in first century to know whether the sheep industry within Jerusalem was in that quarter, but of the city. But that was the gate that it was appropriate to bring your sheep in. So it was called the sheep gate. But it speaks of the pool. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porticos. So per my study, Bethesda is actually a Greek transliteration. It's a phonetic mirroring of a Hebrew or Aramaic word, which means house of outpourings or house of mercy. Okay, so it, it's it's a transliter Bethesda is a transliteration of a word in Hebrew or Aramaic that, that phonetically sounded like that, but that means house of outpourings or house of mercy. So this is basically the hospital. Actually, this is basically, I, I, would, I, I said hospital when I first put it, but, but when I think about it now, it's basically a hospice. This is where those who could not be healed by conventional medicine came to be healed. Conventional medicine couldn't do anything for them. So they waited here in hopes of spiritual healing. And of course, it it. It dictates, it says here in verse 2, that it had five porticos. Those are patios. It had roofed patios for shelter around the pool. And the area was filled. We see that in verse 3. In these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, and withered. It was filled with them. I, again, like I said, 
hospice care at this point, though there's nobody really there caring for them. I mean, as we realize as we get further down into the story, that the, the man has nobody to help put him in the water. And as he struggles to try to get in, other people are going past him. They, they're not helping each other. That is for sure. Um, so, so, you know, there's really no, no milk of human kindness among them. And just as, just as a little note, the water had a reddish tint to it due to the minerals in it, the minerals in the area from where that pool was. But what we want to see, so I'm going to, I'm going to tell you about this, the end of verse three through verse four, and it speaks of the moving of the waters. So in, in, well, in this online version of the legacy standard Bible, and I've seen it, I actually, it's in my, uh, NASB preacher's Bible and in others, these, these portions, the end of verse three and verse four are in, in my case, they're put in square brackets. These verses were not in the original manuscript. They were not in the oldest versions of the manuscript we have. They were put, they were found in later manuscripts. So they were added later. And in all probability, they were added later editorially to indicate what was typically assumed to be the explanation of the movement of the water. Mean, meaning it was custom that, that people knew that, that that was a custom there, that, that the water would move in that pool. And so it was attributed to the angels moving it for people to step in, to, to enter and be healed. And of course, there's the indication that either, either it was legend or there had actually been an occurrence that the that one of the first people or the first person who entered the water when it was stirred up was actually healed okay so thus it formed but again that text is not in the early manuscripts it, it gets added later um so just want to be clear with that so we've dealt with the period the time and the place where this is going on so let's talk about the person Verse 5, and a man was there who had been sick for 38 years. The man was there that had been ill for 38 years. And if you look at what he says to Jesus in verse 7, the sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. Obviously, he's ill enough that he's unable to move himself down and into the pool or move himself rapidly enough. Now, so this indicates to me that he is he is ill such that neither his arms or legs are capable of move, maneuvering him across the porticos to the pool and then in. And don't get me wrong. This 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 guy's not competing against Usain Bolt to try to get in there. Who, If you don't know. One of the one of the fastest men in the world, sprinters. He's not competing against this. This, this, this. He's there with a bunch of other sick people, a bunch of other people on hospice care, a bunch of other people that can't be healed. So, so it's not it's 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 not like he's in a Yugo racing against a Lamborghini. It's not that kind of thing. And he's still so ill that he can't even get himself in ahead of these other sick people. And we do need to note, I, I know I used to think that, you know, and a man was there who had been sick for 38 years. It doesn't specifically say that he's been at the pool for 38 years, just laying there. 
It just says that he's been ill, debilitated that long. But I don't think we go much awry by assuming he's been at the pool for a long amount of time. It's it's not like he hadn't been there long. Okay, so don't so don't don't misunderstand and think I'm saying oh he showed up the, within the last month. That's not what's being said either. It's just we don't have a clear idea yet. We know he's been sick for 38 years, but we don't know how long he's been at the pool. But if he is so debilitated that he's not been able to get to and in the pool in that amount of time, he also has to be almost totally lame. And I don't mean that in the goofy modern sense. I'm saying totally lame is almost completely unable to move himself. So here comes the miracle. Jesus sees the man in question lying there near the pool. He knows supernaturally that the man in question has been a long time in this illness. Verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been sick a long time, he said to him, do you wish to get well? Again, Jesus manifesting his omniscience, manifesting his deity, showing clearly that he is the Christ, the Son of God. He knows he's been there a long time. And he's been there beside the pool, unable to get in. So we ask him, do you wish to get well? And I gotta have to admit, I've read that before and thought that this seems like a very strange question to ask. But we have to look at this in the light of who Jesus is. And I've said this before. He doesn't say things offhand or in a flippant manner. And and the words in the Bible don't I, I've said I know I've said it before. Don't ever mistake it and think the things you see are in here willy-nilly. There is a true, pure reason for why they're in here. And we have to think of what the character is of Jesus. And that his words are very clearly chosen and all have a purpose. When he, when he asked the Samaritan woman for a drink, yeah, he needed a drink. He, he, he was wore out after, six hour, after that six-hour hike of 20 miles. But it was also to start the conversation with her to bring her to a saving faith. There was a true purpose in it. So in this case, Jesus is getting this man focused on the illness, on his need for healing. And it offers that, and and in that question, it offers that healing. It's not just, do you want to get well? But it's kind of, there's, there's there's the unasked, but the implied, I can take care of that for you. It's that, do you wish to get well? I can help with that. And it shows his love and compassion that we know Christ has. But then we see the sick sick man respond in verse 7. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And the sick man completely misses Jesus' offer of healing. Jesus asks him, Do you wish to get well? And the man gets caught up on his inability to affect his own healing by getting into the pool. And he also reveals the complete lack of compassion shown by the other Jews there at the pool, as it would seem reasonable that he has seen folks in much better better shape than him jump into the pool instead of helping him in. 
And obviously he's showing a great deal of bitterness and hopelessness. And don't get me wrong, I totally get it. I totally get it. I'm not saying I'd be any different. Actually, I'd probably be worse. But he's so caught up. And in, in it, in it, honestly, it reminds me of our salvation. It reminds me of our war, walk before being saved. We are so focused, well, or, or as we start to, or as people start to talk to us about it, we get so focused when people try to, try to evangelize us, try to evangelize us, or when we've tried to evangelize others, we get so focused on our inability to affect our own salvation because we can't be righteous enough. Instead of, the, instead of understanding it, do you wish to get well? I can help. Or do you wish to be saved? I can help. We, we, we miss it. We get so caught up in ourselves. And in this case, he gets so caught up in the bitterness and hopelessness. So do we. I've seen people do that where you're trying to show them the hope of the gospel and they're so caught up in, 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 in their depravity. And, and, and it's good that they know and identify the depravity, but they get so bound up in it and in their inability, they're not hearing that they don't have to do it. That is a gift from God. And that's what's happening here with this man at the well. This is who we can't be. And this is who we have to try to work past when we're evangelizing. I mean, this guy reminds me, and I don't know if you know the guy, but Jeff Dunham, um, he, he's a comic and he does, and and, and I'm not, it's probably, I, I don't know, I'm sure he's probably done some risque things. I've not necessarily seen him per se, but but one of his characters that he does, he, do, he does ventriloquism stuff. And he reminds, this guy reminds me of Walter. Walter is always complaining about everything. Um, and it can't help but make me laugh. But of course, and of course it's without the humor. Or maybe Archie Bunker. Maybe that'll, to an older crowd, will understand that. This guy is so caught up on himself. And he can't see the hand being offered him. But that doesn't stop Jesus. Jesus heals him. Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And we see in verse nine, and immediately the man became well. The Messiah heals this man. There's no flim flammery. There's no great production. There's no dancing around. There's no, everybody look, watch what I'm going to do. Jesus issues three imperatives. Get up, pick up your pallet and walk. These are three things this man is completely incapable of doing. Yet Jesus issues these commands with all love and compassion. He issues these commands with the power that created all of creation, that parted the Red Sea, that smashed Sodom and Gomorrah, and would raise himself from the dead, that raised Laz raises Lazarus from the dead. And the man gets up, picks up his pallet, and walks. It's this complete healing and the power behind it is shown clearly. There's no gradual getting better. There's no stretching it out. There's no rehab. There's no getting up but having to restrict his activities like we have to do after surgery. Um, I, I, I blew my knee out. I came off a concrete truck and blew my left knee out. 
And when they did the repair, when they finally figured out what was going on, I was on absolutely no duty for a month and then light duty with rehab for a month after my knee repair before I was considered 100% to go back to work full time. There's none of that here. 38 years he's been this way. Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk. And he does immediately. Not only did he get up, pick up his pallet, and walk, which was not light, but then he walked and carried it. The miracle has happened, and it was awesome. And immediately the man became well and picked up his man, Matt, and began to walk. This man has spent what had been a large portion of his life in this state. Some folks in that time did not even live as long as this man had been ill. But again, like I brought up, we've got to see how this occurrence shows us the gospel. We have a man who has absolutely no characteristics that separate him from the ones around him. A sinful man, as we see Jesus refer to in verse 14. Um, Verse 14, he speaks back, the man finds him again, and Jesus says, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse happens to you. So we see that this is a sinful sinful man and one who is unable to heal himself. And by, by reference, we see being a sinful man, one who is able to be righteous enough to be saved. But we see our Savior choose this man from the multitude of people at the at the, at the pool of Bethesda with nothing differentiating him from that multitude nothing that qualifies that man for Jesus's attention as a, other than that he was a sinner just like everybody else there and we see that same sh- savior show love and compassion show grace and mercy by fully healing that man instantaneously with the man in question having had nothing to do with nor being able to do anything to contribute to his fe- to his healing that is how our salvation is and and unfortunately like i said half the time a lot of us end up responding the way this man did when we get asked about it do you wish to be saved Do you wish to have eternal life? Do you wish for your sins to be forgiven? Well, you know, I've been trying to be a good person and I've, you know, been trying to do better, but I'm really, really struggling with this and it's just been so hard. And in this world and everything that ends up on the TV and we get caught up in all these things that we can't fix and we're, we can't save ourselves. We can't just like this man could not heal himself, nor was he ever going to be able to. But we're not supposed to. The work is totally of the Savior. The work is totally of the triune God to bring us to a saving faith in Christ. And that's who we have to focus on. I mean, this guy was so not focused on this man talking to him that when we, we see in further verses that will God willing deal with tomorrow, that he hadn't even paid enough to realize who the man was that had just healed him. And this man had used the power that created the universe that would resurrect himself, that would bring back from the dead. And he didn't even pay enough attention to know the man's name. 
Doesn't that sound like us a lot? We've been given such a wonderful gift. We've been given salvation. And half the time we don't pay attention. We can't be like that man at the well. Too many times we are. But that's how it works. And we've got to remember that. When Christ says, get up, pick up your mat and walk. We need to get up and pick up our mat and walk. We've seen the wonderful, wonderful miracle that he's done here. And God willing, tomorrow night, we're going to see as the persecution starts to set in from the Jewish leadership. All right, let's go ahead and close this out. I'm sorry, I know I ran kind of long, but the notes were kind of long on this. Let's go ahead and close out this evening with the third day evening prayer. It's called Before Sleep. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right. Thanks for spending time with me this evening. I hope our time and our study in the Gospel of John um, this evening has been edifying to you. I hope you have a wonderful evening, and God willing, I'll see you in the morning. God bless. Thank you.